There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, you're listening to The BIP Show. I'm Paul Colgan. BIP is for business, investing, and policy. We're going to talk about it all here today. We're here in Sydney recording this episode on the 2nd of July, 2020. Uh, I'm here in Sydney with James Whelan, investment manager and macro strategist at VFS Group. How are you doing, James? Fantastic, Paul. Always good to be here live from the studios of Darlinghurst. And joining us on the line from Amsterdam is Ken Vexler, managing director at, and chief investment officer at Acumen Management. Hello, Ken. Hello, guys. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Okay, now look, after looking last week at Australian property, this week we're going to look at global financial markets, particularly stocks, but also the phenomenon phenomenon of new entrants to the market. Phenomenon. Uh, phenomenon. Do, 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 do. And the expansion of the retail sh- investor class, uh, it's, it's a big talking point. We might talk about some of the rookie errors as well that uh, new traders make, um, because there are a lot of them about in 2020, and it might be something a bit educational for new traders, and a bit of nostalgia. Nostalgia for those experienced hands, uh, both both among our listeners and on the panel. To help with all of this, we are joined on the line by Chris Weston, Head of Research at Pepperstone, one of the world's biggest foreign exchange and CFD brokers. Westy, great to have you on the show. Good to be here, Paul. It's great to be here today. So uh, for those of you uh, who don't know Chris, uh, he's a well-known um, uh, figure in, in Australian financial markets, but also globally too. Um, he's regularly on Bloomberg, etc. Uh, now, Chris, you're uh, in Melbourne. So um, a note to our authorities here in Australia, we are socially distanced um, by about 880 kilometres for for our listeners outside of Australia. And I think about 15% of the audience uh, now on the BIP show uh, are overseas. There's quite a bit of COVID down there. It travels through the 5G, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So they've just introduced new lockdowns uh, and... uh, our leaders here in Sydney are, are literally encouraging us not to interact with people from Victoria. Um, so are you, are, you, are you affected by this, Chris? Um, not, not so much. I mean, look, there was 10 postcodes which they sort of identify as being COVID hotspots, which I think they wanted to sort of just eradicate that, get them to isolate much more much more keenly, show a bit more discipline. And, um, you know, those guys uh, have had to go to full lockdown again, uh, go back, you know, a few months which has got to be tough for those guys. Um, but I think everyone else is, is looking at this you know, pretty closely at the moment. Obviously, Victoria's a bit more stringent than most at the moment. But outside of those sort of 10 postcodes, you know, we can sort of still freely come and go. But yeah, I think yeah, we, we just need to keep our discipline a little bit more in, in Victoria at the moment and make sure that um, you, know, you keep, uh, keep the distances going on and, and, and you know, still try and do the right thing. And I suppose the thing is, this might be a feature of life for a little while to come yet. Okay, look, let's uh, start with what happened in markets this week. We've just been through an important uh, marker, which is the end of the second quarter, halfway through the year. Um, Now, there's a thing here that happens um, that can make markets a bit funky this time of year, which is called rebalancing. Look, what is it and how does it affect markets? Who wants to start? (laughs) Oh, that's a beautiful pause. Uh, Look, I'm going to say in order of people who probably know enough, uh, we're going to go local to Amsterdam and then back to me. So go Melbourne first. No, I, I, I think that, yeah, this gets a lot of airtime and it's great if you're in, in your, and you work in a mutual fund or a pension fund where you've made, um, you've obviously got a mandate with your, you know, the underlying pension that you're managing and you're saying, right, well, you know, what is it that we're doing? 60, 40 equity bonds, 70, 40, so 70, 30. And at the end of the month, you know, one, one asset class has significantly outperformed another, so you have to go and rebalance. And I think that's exactly what we've just seen going into the end of the second quarter. We'd seen, you know, the S&P, if you want to use that as a benchmark. And then you saw all these sell-side emails going around saying, oh, you know, we're going to see X amount of billions being sold out of equities and then having to rebalance into flows into bond markets as they rebalance and recalibrate back to those original mandates. 
and everyone's getting really excited and going, oh, we're going to see billions and billions of dollars of equity selling. The question is, when does that actually take place? It's not like there's one finite moment in the day before that everyone starts selling equity, these pension funds, these um, you know, the, the mutual funds have them having to rebalance those, those to get their mandates back to exactly how they should be. But everyone gets really excited and, you know, we never actually see the, the actual volatility which everyone suggests is going to be happening. And that same phenomenon takes place then in the FX markets as well. You know, people are saying, oh, we're going to, you know, the dollar's underperformed, so we're going to have to see, you know, buying of dollars to recalibrate. And again, you know, it's, it's just, it's something that gets talked about a lot and you never actually see anything that really resonates the sort of volatility that you're expecting. James, there's a bit of a theory of thing um, at work <laughs> in this, isn't there? That's massively thinging. That one is very thingy indeed. <laughs> so it's, it's um, just, based on, just based on that, and I'm seeing it come out again, just talking about, I think CNBC is running some story on, on a massive amount of selling that is apparently supposed to be supposed to be coming. Once you talk about it and talk about it and talk about it, the, and, and it's like the same with not just the big 60-40 rebalancing on it. And Chris, get yourself set. I'm about to ask you a question about 60-40 in a sec. So the, but the, it, it's, it's not just about that, that, that rebalancing. It's also when you see stocks, stocks about to go into the 200 or it's about to come out of the 200 or it's about to go into the 300 small cap index or whatever you want to make up. And everyone gets all jumpy about, oh, that means that all of a sudden the 300 guys got to buy it or the 200 guys got to sell it. They don't do it that day. Mm. It's it's that's the date that that effectively the index changes and they can take a long time to do it. The ASX 200 does not have 200 stocks in it most of the time. That's 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 a huge kicker. Um, so yeah, it is theory of thing that everyone talks about it. The FX that residualizes from it just made it up. Great word. Um, and everything that everything that goes on from it. Yeah. And so then the more it gets talked about, the less of a thing it becomes. Yeah, so as you approach the point uh, of the end of the end of the quarter. Uh, anybody who's worried about this, um, say from a retail perspective yeah. or whatever, might go, well, I'm going to sell because I, I, I expect to see all this selling, the but thing. all the selling's already done and it's become a thing. And, he, and, and here There's, we, yeah, go, one more thing. Well, to a point, sorry. Yeah, no, you, sorry. Go, you go, Ken. No, no, charge him, mate. Well, no, just, just, just on the notion, at least in, in this most recent example, all the selling, I mean, that, that's, that's why the market, market shut itself arguably last Wednesday or thereabouts, right, because... Um, theory of thing or the fact that it's been priced in and and you all you guys are right it doesn't happen on the one day obviously right so bottom line is they do it well ahead of the um, of the actual date and that gives you sort of Tuesday Wednesday so for no good reason apart from financial TV ascribing you know a rise in COVID infections in the US Wednesday thereabouts last week market absolutely dumped um, and then stagnated and then people were you know coming into Monday, Tuesday, going, oh, well, that's it. This this is month and quarter and half year end, and so today it's going to dump. What it do on Sunday night, Monday morning, just rallied. So everything had been done already. So, I mean, if if you're really anticipating it on the day, then, then you deserve to be done. But anyway, yeah. that's just me. And- to be to be honest, it's, you know, take a smaller something, a smaller situation which we, which we envisage far more often, which is futures rollover. You know, like when do when do people um, who are you know long gold futures or crude futures roll their contracts? They don't do it the day before. Um, people will step the Chinese. <laughs> people step up, and you know, you see the rollovers take place. You know, well well in advance. So my advice to to retail traders who are saying, you know, I'm going to take a position based on a, a rebalancing is just just don't even look at it. There's there's plenty of other things that you need to be concerned about. It's not something that that uh, is you know it's just too hard to, to to trade that in isolation. I just wouldn't be considering it a a, a tradable thing. Now look. Uh one of the things, Chris, was so the, the, this uh, anticipated sell-off, or this the, this idea that people that indexes were going to get sold down um, at the end of the quarter, uh, never happened. Um, stonks are continuing to do what they've done all um, in the last couple of months, which is continue to just keep on uh, rallying. Um, now, this is despite I think this is quite extraordinary, um, despite the passage this week of the um, security law in Hong Kong. Uh, and very clear signs that the virus is potentially um, beyond control in um, large parts of the U.S., um, particularly Texas. Um, uh, Chris, how do you how do you think about this? Well, I try not to try not to think about it in in too complex uh, terms because I think every time you try and t- think about something, the market you know looks at something else and it, and it sees what it wants to see on any given day. Um, you know. 
you take Wednesday last week and we saw, you know, massive volatility, a big drawdown in the equity market. And the next day, you know, similar sort of news flow. And then the market was up by a similar sort of amount. And that similar situation happened on Friday and Monday. Market was down hard and then rallied back again. So, I mean, on, on any given day, it's just picking out, cherry picking points that it wants to move on. Uh, so, you know, you're talking about flow. You're talking about a market that is that is expensive. I think valuation masks just how you know i think valuation makes it to be probably a little bit more expensive than it is you need to take into consideration the equity risk premium but yeah i think on any given day we we tend to just look at you know take on one theme and go with that i think what what the market wants to see now and i think what they're looking at is is whether we're going to see signs earlier than expected of an upgrade cycle we're already seeing that in australia now if you look at earnings for next year you know they've they've started to move up and that's lowered the price earnings ratio for next year i think people want to see the same now what's the message that copper's telling us what's the message that crude's telling us what's the message that's priced into the stock market people are expecting to start seeing signs now of an upgrade cycle and if we don't see that then there's probably some downside but they they, they are generally believing that there's going to be better times ahead for earnings and i think you know if you see evidence of that stock markets love that and of course you've got the fed which you know can manipulate whatever they want to get higher stock prices as well yeah. Now you mentioned copper, Chris, and, and I've recently just gone into the into the commodity space as well. Copper has been a bit of a confusing one, and I'm not going to I'm not going to call it. Uh, Doctor Copper may or may not be out, and that's what I want to talk about because I know that for a while the financial press was talking about copper was the leading way. Obviously, before all this happened, copper was leading the way. Look at look at copper go. And I do remember Ken on your Twitter account that you came back and you said, "Hey guys, it doesn't actually work that way anymore." Um, anyone want to add to that? Is copper leading the way on this one now? Is it is is it back to being a leading indicator on the on the global economy? No, look, I mean, I'll, I'll jump in there. And <clears throat> from my perspective, I don't remember that tweet, but it sounds about right. It's probably a bit more malicious, a bit more malicious, and a bit more swearing involved. But um, I, I don't think copper's been a leading indicator for the better part of well, not a decade, but not far off. If anything, I, I genuinely believe that not not unlike oil and a few other commodities it's actually second if not third derivative of of the greater bigger picture out there and the bigger picture out there is just you know sentiment driven so everyone just presumes that if things are rosy then off we go to the races with copper and the like and the various other commodities so i'm not sure that well i personally am not taking too much stock in in even something like iron ore for example i mean the movements in iron ore have been ridiculous considering let's say in Australia, what the Chinese have basically told Australia that, you know, we're going to open up our own smelters again and, and do what we need to because, you know, you can get stuffed. And yet iron ore prices have been flying as well, right? I think it's on the presumption that globally things are going to turn. So therefore, everyone's trying to get a jump. But to me, it's just it's secondary of stuff. Some of this stuff reminds me of a couple of years ago. Uh, do you remember the Fed looking through uh, inflation data and weak points in the data and deciding not to move on interest rates? Basically uh, thinking that certain things were kind of short term and we're going to eventually uh, get resolved one way that could give, or give the Fed a, a better uh, direction on policy. And to me, a lot of what's happening in the markets uh, um, is, is this whole idea of investors looking through. And Chris, what you just said about the market cherry picking, what it decides to focus on on, every given, on any given day, effectively, markets are now looking ahead to a time when the virus is dealt with uh, mm. and, and, and over and done with. So say, for example, Qantas, you know, Qantas isn't doing any business at the moment. Uh, and yet the share price is still trundling along. Okay, it's, you know, um, hasn't imploded or whatever um, because investors are sort of thinking, well, well, they're certain that um, Qantas will return to business one day and they'll want to own that stock um, when, they, when it does. But the question for me is, does this, like at what point is this entirely disconnected from the fundamentals? Because <laughs> that's not a real question, is it, Colgan? How forward? You say <laughs> okay. So how forward? There's the question to the floor: is how forward-looking are markets? Yeah, Chris. Well, I just so like, I've got I've got this 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 situation. So look, you've got copper rallying. You've got lumber going from two fifty to four thirty-eight. You've got the equity market, which historically does lead earnings. Earnings tend to lag by about three to six months. So you've got a message which is being told by this, by these parts of the market. Then you've got the market which is more dear to my heart and, and is, is right way more often than not, and that's the bond market. 
you know, you've got a curve which refuses to steepen significantly. You've got the back end which refuses to go up too much. Everyone's saying, oh, we're going to see a massive sell-off. We're, you know, we've got to be short duration. It's not happening. The bond market's telling you that doom and gloom's ahead. Inflation expectations. If you look at five-year, five-year break-evens or, or just break-even levels, the bond market's implied level of inflation, you know, it's just not moving. It's, you know, break-even levels are, or one, five-year, five-year break-evens, 152. So you've got this message which you know, Cameron's talking about, which is being implied, the world's going to be rosy in 2021. We're not going to be back to where we were in January, but it's not going to be a million miles off. And then you've got the bond market and, and yeah, fine, it's being slightly manipulated by the Fed to an extent, but the bond market's saying, hang on guys, that, that message is not quite right. One of them's wrong, one of them's right. You know, you tend to back the bond market every day of the week over the equity market, but you know, that's, that's the disconnect which I'm seeing at the moment. And, and look, I, I agree entirely. I mean, and, and that's Colgo Wide sort of scoffed at your question. It wasn't to take the piss out of you, but it's more a function of um, something that you and I had discussed earlier in the week. And, and it speaks to Chris's point in that bonds, um, yeah, they're, they're, well, the bond market is genuine, genuinely reflecting two things. One is the reality, which is things are not great and won't be for a while. And two, the fact that every central bank on the planet has essentially forwarded, forward guided us into oblivion saying, listen, lads, we're not going anywhere in any rush. Why the hell would you want to be short? Job done. Um, but then that speaks to the fact that equities, uh, the equity market is not, not the economy. Uh, and it certainly doesn't respect, re- reflect, respect fundamentals. And leads us, leads me at least, to sort of look at it as I have done for a while, but courtesy of Hugh Hendry, who just dropped a uh, Jerry Maguire-esque manifesto full of Bloody hell, I read this, I read this, yeah. Yeah, but, but, one, but one thing that did sort of speak to me only because it confirmed or agreed with my prize is that equities or, or the stock market these days behaves more like a savings instrument than it does an investment instrument. And that speaks to the fact that genuinely in a hunt for yield or a hunt for sort of any sort of risk premium return, there's nothing really out there. The, the fact that and this, this speaks to, at least in my mind, to equities on an index level, right? It, it, obviously, if you're a stock picker and you're looking for, I don't know, I still don't know what an equity is, but so, so let's move on. But, but the point is that on an index level, because there's such heavily weighted or there, there's so much heavy weighting towards particular stocks and whatever else in a given index, um, the indice or the index, yeah, behaves like a savings instrument because where else are you going to put your money? Um, in, in a world where, well, nothing's happening. So I, th- I think that's sort of, that's the dichotomy that we're living with. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll sum it up before we cut across. The, and this is uh, something from about nine hours ago, our time uh, by Apollo Trading um, on the Twitter. And it's, it's, uh, it, 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 it sums it up so perfectly. To understand what has happened to the US stock market, you need to first look, first accept that Microsoft, Apple, Google, Amazon, are no longer stocks. They're variable rate treasuries backed by the full faith and credit of the US government. That sums it up so well right. in, in what's mm. going on. So, Well, I saw the Fed act, uh, disclose this week what bonds it was buying. <laughs> Toyota was in there. <laughs> yep. But also Apple. Yep. Berkshire Hathaway Energy. Yep. They needed it. Lads, secondary market. Just, just, so, sorry, that's secondary all market. Need, that's all I'm going to interject with. It's, <laughs> it's not like sense. they're out there primary bidding everything that, that Apple lays out. Well, Apple needs to do a 10-year issue and the Fed's like rubbing its hands. Secondary market, but point stands. I think they were, there's $6.8 billion buying ETFs, bond ETFs, no. US bond ETFs. Phenomenal. That, 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 that's that. That's a free kick. It only goes up, obviously. Stocks only go up. We've assumed that. Now, stonks. Also, they only go up, and there's the Robin Hood, the Robin Hood crew, the Robin Hood crowd. They scare the crap out of me, just quietly. Um, Paul, how do you feel about it? Uh, I yeah, well, I you know, I, I at first I thought, well, this is just a tiny thing. This can't really, this isn't, you know, the equity market is, uh, you know, I sometimes talk about the equity market not being as big and scary and mean as the the currency and and bond markets, but. Uh, uh, I was thinking, that surely the equity market is far too big for these guys to have any kind of impact. Um, but now uh, I'm starting to rethink that a little bit. Um, we're going to deal with that after this short break. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to The Bip Show. Paul Colgan here in Sydney with James Whelan. Ken Vexler on the line from Amsterdam. And Chris Weston, head of research at Pepperstone Group, uh, on the line from Melbourne. So... The rise of the retail trader. Okay, now um, this is a really interesting thing. It's happening not just in the United States, but uh, in uh, Australia as well. Yes, very much so. Yeah. Um, now, Chris, obviously, um, as a provider, um, uh, you're very close to this, and you you, you would have been watching this uh, very very carefully with a lot of interest this year. Well, I mean, I think there's two, there's two things. One is the um, the U.S. stock trader, and yeah, well, that's very different. I mean, that 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 comes down to where we saw in October, where everyone went to commission free. Yeah, everyone started believing that we were going to see you know zero interest rates forever, and the Fed have your back. And then effectively, you know, going out and, and trading on your mobile phone was a was a sort of substitute for going to Vegas. But I mean, look at the volume. I mean, we haven't got the, the full data for for June, but I was having a look at some of the numbers that we saw. Um, you go to to TD Ameritrade. They did. Uh, an average of, of 3,270,000 trades in May. Um, E-Trade did 1.2, um, Schwab did 1.3, Interactive Brokers 1.6, Robinhood 11.4 million trades a day. So if you get those five brokers... Let's just, just, just clarify that. All of those platforms, are those numbers are per day. That's an average... That's an average trades per day. So if you if you if you get them together, we are nineteen million trades a day going through those trades. Now, assuming that most of those are retail, uh, considering go back to March, that's so about seventeen million. You know, year on year, you're talking some staggering numbers there. So let's let's talk, let's say we take an average ticket size, really small. Let's say we take um, you know five hundred bucks for example. You're talking about what's that nineteen. Um, what sort of what, what notional we're talking about? $9.5 billion worth of notional. The S&P turnover on any kind of one given day is about $50 billion. I don't know. You can pick holes in this all day long, but you're talking 20% of the value volume going through the S&P in terms of that turnover. So, you know, those numbers that you're seeing there, they're actually fact. You can go through their through their um, through their statements and see them. And, you know, so that's 19 million trades a day. Um, and then that's, I've used a really small ticket size to get that number there. So, you know, what you're seeing there is some substantial numbers. It's worth uh, just going back to some of how this really took off uh, in in April and, and May, which is when Dave Portnoy, the uh, Barstool Sports uh, yeah. co-founder, um, started talking about how he was doing better in the market than Warren Buffett. Uh, and there was this joke, this meme going around that the Fed's got your back. Everybody was jumping on the app Robin Hood, which allows you to do um, uh, f- uh, fee-free um, uh, commission-free uh, trades. Yeah, yeah um, commission-free trades. Um, and uh, you know, the, it just became this big sort of pop culture thing. Uh, everybody at home, not much to do. Um, you know, people at home from from work, etc., and uh, they're punting on the stock market. And of course, sports being shut down. Yeah, there was it was a beautiful combination that was between the, the the two things: sports being shut down, people were at home with nothing to do, with a couple, with a few dollars that you know potentially they'd just been chucked into their bank account, or that they had saved up. And then also they're coming in at the at what is the the worst possible time in the market? It was at the bottom. So that atmosphere and that attitude that everything just goes up with the stimulation that came through from the Fed, with the stimulus checks that, that hit, and just with the general sort of area that there's big portions of the market that were massively oversold and the panic, it looks great and it is easy and they only go up and it's, and it's fantastic. There is still that overarching. First off, I, I did promise that I was going to 
tell people why Robinhood is zero commission. It's, and a lot of my clients and a lot of my people that I talk to still don't know that Robinhood is free because they sell their order flow. Um, so basically they're selling it to the to the, the high frequency, the algos in front of it. They can jump in and, and be able to catch that in front of them and that's how they make their money. That's how Robinhood – so the product actually is the people who are using the product. That's the, that's the product. They are the product. Um, and that's so that. just walk through that walk through that step by step slowly. Okay, okay. Uh, anyone want to pick this one up and talk about HFT and uh, and algo trading? Anyone oh like that? God no. Okay, there Thank you go. You, okay, uh, look. So high you, frequency algo trading. Yeah, go, Chris. Do you want to, you want to grab this one, mate? Oh, I'm not. I'm not an expert in this, but you know they. It's the you know they've got some fairly sophisticated towers, which you know they can they can sense orders and then they can basically get front of it. Uh, before um, before the trade's done, and then they can catch an edge. It's not my speciality. We certainly don't see it uh, at Pepperstone, so it's not something I'm uh, getting involved with. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll dig in with a few things now. First off, okay, because this is actually a very interesting part of the market that a lot of people don't know about. So we're actually, if if I may, have a few minutes to educate. Take uh, take the ASX liquidity center that was built a few years ago over in I think it's at Lane Cove, Gorehill, or somewhere like that. That 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 every person, every broker that wanted to buy a box. They get a server rack and they get to put it in the in the liquidity center. And the big boys and the big players did, and they, and they bought a box that's there. Every single one of them, and it doesn't matter, some of them were edging to get their boxes closer to where the actual ASX server actually Phys- was. Physically closer. Physically closer, which is why a lot of brokers in America, they, they, they're building very fast pipelines over certain areas. And then other brokers realized, this is years ago, other brokers realized that if we just move closer to where the exchange physically is – um, or where their servers actually are, then we could be a lot quicker and we could get our trades done faster. We, we did means- a story on this at yeah. Business Insider. The real estate for the server uh, boxes um, that are physically closer to the exchange are more expensive. Yeah, yeah. but at the, in, the, in the liquidity centre, it doesn't matter where you are because everyone gets 20 metres of rope of, uh, of cable. Right. Effectively, and it's measured out, and they go in and they actually measure it out, and you get everyone's measured out so that nobody has any advantage from that point. How you get to that box from your actual office is a whole different story. So, so in effect, this is the same sort of thing. So you've got the, the, the Robin Hood. They've got all of their order flow, everything for the day. People are in there before market, during market, whatever. Before it actually hits the market, they're giving it to someone else that pays to see it. So they can see a big order flow that's coming through for a certain thing. They can jump in in front of that. Lots of people like Facebook today. Yeah, for right. So that there's a big flow going in. We'll be we'll we'll, we'll charge in in front of that order because we've actually got a quicker a quicker way of getting to the to the to the exchange, and we'll catch that, we'll catch that price bump. It's not front running, but you are you are you are seeing the orders before they can go through, and that's it's queue jumping, isn't it? It's Basically. yeah, it's 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 like you're buying the order flow, but it's for sale and, and they're selling it. So um, check if your broker's selling the order flow, but but that's the Robin Hood deal that you are that you're on zero com. So you've got people that are that are leveraged up with a new platform that's selling your order flow. Stocks are only going up. You've got someone like Portnoy who is picking. I have to do fifty out fifty hours of compliance a year of CPD. You've got this guy over in the states that used to run a, a sports blog. Picking stock codes out of a Scrabble bag, his guys are then going and buying it. That's, in my view, market manipulation because he knows the influence that he's going to have on that. Um, thousands of thousands of people uh, are following his live, and uh, he's pushing it up on YouTube. And he's, yeah, and he's pushing it up. And I'm sitting here writing out statements of advice for people and giving and giving full life plans, and people are wondering why you know the performance is different from that. And that's because I'm not I'm not calling out stocks live on Instagram. And, and, and getting people in front of it to people who are also selling their flow to the high-frequency free, high trader guys that are also making money on that side too. So there's, there is that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, there's a lot of chat rooms and, and there's big guys who've got big personalities who come out and, and everyone follows their recommendation. But I think the, the thing that really concerns me is, is that when, when you're trading, you learn how to be a good loser, right? That, that, that's really what it's all about. For me, it's about cutting your losses early. Obviously, everyone runs their tries to run their profits where they can, but it's about being a good loser, right? You know, you need to understand when it's not working out and get the hell out of there and, and move on to something else. These guys, you know, it's great that they're getting into the market and, and let's hope that they get an education around, you know, risk management, money management, and, and basically, you know, not just blindly following someone and, and, and having this, this, this incredible positive expectancy that everything's going to be sunshine and lollipops. Yeah, that's just, that reality is just not going to happen. We're not going to see the you know, the Fed's balance sheet going up exponentially forever. In fact, we've started seeing it roll over now. Uh, and the question is, is you know, 
how do these people manage loss? What is it? I know they've got small accounts, and you know we've already seen some 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 one or two really horrific stories about people having losses. But you know these people are going to get educated by the markets. They, they will they will get educated by the markets. People have to learn how to, the ability of risk management and taking losses, and they're going to get schooled very soon, in my opinion. And 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 you know hopefully they learn some lessons and, and carry on trading. But they will learn some lessons. So I'm going to read out actually one story that I spotted uh, this this week um, uh, about a guy on. Uh, the ASX stocks stock tips group on Facebook, um, which I joined this week. And look, there's some very funny stuff on there, um, but the, then there's also a lot of people in there who are clearly um, very new to this. Um, and this guy uh, got a message from somebody else in the group saying, you know, um, uh, should I um, get out of this uh, trade? I've never lost so much. I'm waiting on my super money on Friday for settlement because the um, uh, ATO, well, the government was allowing people to access their, their super um, as of this week and they're getting like $10,000 deposited into their account, right? And um, the guy was saying, you know, I can't afford to make this much of a loss. And his mate was saying to him, cut your losses and sell. The guy responds, do you think it will come back? Um, our experienced hand responds, it's only going to drop down more. Um, our poor bloke who's, who's lost his money says, really? Question mark. Not even long term? Question mark. Um, <laughs> now, it, it, it got worse. Now, that, that's not um, the only example of that kind of thing happening. You know, he's, that bloke has, has dusted himself and he needs um, his, his uh, he posted a screenshot of his uh, comsec account that he was negative four five five grand um so he's getting that uh, 10 grand in his super and he's uh, gonna have to um, settle his um his account with it so um what I thought would be really good um, uh, as I said at the start of the show um, a bit of nostalgia for you guys and maybe a bit of interest for the pros because everybody will have a view on this. Uh, for the pros among our listeners, but also as something educational for the uh, number of new people who are out there trading, um, what the key things are um, that you think um, rookie traders need to know and the kinds of mistakes they make. James, I might start with you. Oh, with me? Uh, Far and away, the the biggest rookie mistake that you can make, and it's taken me ages to do it, and funnily enough, this corresponded um, and, and does help when we moved away from the city and moved out here to Darlinghurst. We used to be right above Ryan's Bar, of all places. Rian's. Yeah, the old Rian's Bar, an institution. I miss Rian's. Yeah, I, 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 I thought that you might be a, a creature of that place. And, and I'd, you'd duck down at lunch and catch up with your mates and do blah, 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 blah. And so it's like, I've got, a, I've got a red hot tip for you, Jimmy. You've got to... Yeah, you got you got to get onto this one. It's no, 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 and and it's not. It's just it's really exciting. It's really you know they're in Sierra Leone and they're digging ants out of copper mines and and they've got this way of squeezing the juice out of the <coughs> ants or some nonsense. It is just the biggest load of baloney. And 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 you're like, and you're like, it's 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 you know you're, you know you might have a couple in after and the, and then the next day you go in and yeah the Sierra Leone ant squeezing farm is a good is a good thing. And I've done the cursory look at this stock and I think yeah, I might just get a couple of them and get in. It's like. And it's the worst possible idea that you could have because, A, you don't know anything about it. You're not close to the company. It's probably a terrible idea anyway. And, and it's very likelihood that there's some chat that's going on at the other side of it some, and someone is just selling into your buying. The, 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 the mistake overall that I would say is that you, if you're not close to it, don't even worry about it. If you can't, especially at, at the small end of the scale, it's easy to keep up with what BHP is doing or CBA or, or Apple or, or Amazon or any of that because it's in the news and you can see it and it's very, very well disclosed. Small companies like that, if, you don't, if you're not close to it and really close to knowing what they do and who's behind it, the worst mistake that you can have is have it in your portfolio because all you're going to have at the end of the day is a whole shoebox full of these pieces of... Mystery stocks. Yeah, yeah that's it. Uh, Westy, um, you know, obviously this is a big part of your work uh, and you do a lot of uh, work in the media, et cetera. I'm with clients, um, you know, educating people on risk um, and volatility, et cetera. Um, what do you think on this? Most most of my work nowadays is, is centred on trying to explain what is a risk event and what's not a risk event. You know, for people who are holding positions at a certain time, you know, we've got non-farm payrolls number. Is it going to be a risk event? If so, you know, what sort of moves can we expect? We look at, you know, the options market, for example, to understand the implied move. But for me, 
you know, everyone comes on board, they, they, they start trading uh, you know, FX markets or indices or whatever. And, and, and all they're focused on is, is entry points. They're just like, tell us about this moving average crossover. Tell us about this. It's just all about the entry. And, you know, signal services and all that, that nonsense that you see you know, advertised every day of the week on YouTube. And it becomes completely infuriating. Every time you go onto Facebook, there's a, a signal service trying to be pumped out there. You know, that, that, that's, not, that's not trading. You know, entry points and, and, and getting into the market is, is about 10% of trading. Um, position sizing. You've got to get correct position sizing for the right size of your account. You've got to understand where your stop loss is. How far, am, how much risk am I taking? And if I'm taking, you know, how much risk I'm taking, understand, you know, what sort of you know, reward do I need to be taking? Don't just go for the, the win-loss ratio. It's about how much risk I'm taking on any one position. From that point, I can understand my position sizing, and then I can try and target a certain risk reward. How I manage emotion when I'm in the trade? You know, we're, we're, as human beings, we're, we're taught we always have to be right. That's just absolute bollocks. The idea that you know, you can accept a loss, you can move on to something else, a small loss is what trading is all about. You know, you, you don't always have to be right. In fact, you know, last year, my success record on FX trading was about 40%. I still made money. Why? Because when I made money, I made more money than I lost when I, when I had a losing trade. And these are all the sort of things we're trying to, we're trying to teach people, you know, forget about trying to make a, make a successful trade every single time. It's never going to happen. Just be, you know, when you do make a successful trade, try and etch out as much as possible but get the right position sizing for the size of your account and you know don't listen to people who are trying to sell you signal services and all those kind of bits and pieces so the bottom line is you need a framework you need you need a process which you adhere to and and, and that that can help you with discipline but everyone focuses on the entry points and, and to be honest that's just that's a small part of trading it's the discipline that you need around that so that's for people i suppose who are thinking about doing it semi-frequently or frequently etc what about um People who are look who are thinking, look, I've got something, um, I've got a thousand bucks somewhere, and I'm thinking about buying some shares, uh, you know, and, and look, just pointing out very clearly that this is not a financial advice. This show. is barely even general <laughs> advice here, mate. Go, go not even. Okay. Um, but <laughs> here, what are the mistakes people make when they go, oh, I've got a grand kicking around, what will I do? I think I'll jump in here quickly. If you've got a grand to spunk on what you think is an investment idea, just wait till the whatever it is, first Tuesday in November and you've got how many horses running in the cup? 14, 24, there you go, off you go. Get lazy 50, you know, 50 cents on each or 50 bucks on each, whatever, jobs are good. No, seriously. I mean, for, for a thousand bucks, don't even bother. Can we uh, get around to you with your your mistake? What's your big lesson? What's your, what's um, oh, mate, plenty of mistakes, but in, in order to forget those, I spent a lot of days and nights drinking heavily, so let's not talk about it. <laughs> oh, over 25 years. Um, I suppose, look, I don't know, the lessons for, for, for new traders or whatever else, I can only go by how I learned, and that was being put in front of a screen for north of 12, 14 hours a day, basically. And, and the, the rationale behind that is learn your asset class, learn your instrument that you're going to be trading, stare at price action, appreciate what price action or what price reacts to, what the factors going into it are, and just innately and intimately learn, you know, learn your craft. I mean, and that, that's that's obviously over and above or sort of prior, you know, behind everything that Chris and yourself have mentioned. Obviously, risk management, I mean, those things are key. And if, if you don't, if you can't do any of that, forget it. But intimately learning, be it the asset class or the specific instrument that you're looking to trade, um, for me, at least, that, that, that's key. And, and, and the only way you're going to truly learn that is by putting in the hours in front of a screen until you get square eyes and you're colorblind from all the flashing numbers. But, but that's, that's it. That's probably it for me. I think you need to, um, you know, you always, like, it's, it's a bit of a cliche that it always, you know, trading reflects your lifestyle and circumstance, but it does, right? You know, you know if, if you've got a job, if you're a farmer out in the fields, um, you're, you know, you're, you can't go and scalp markets. It just can't happen, right? So you need to have a strategy which is, you know, beholden to the amount of time that you can put in front of the screens and put in, um, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, the, the energy that you can put into the market. So, you know, can you overnight trade the US trading session if you've got young kids? I mean, they, these are all factors that you need to understand, but you need to have, you need to have a strategy which fits in 
perfectly to your, to, to your lifestyle and, and the circumstance that you have as well. Mm. Uh, look, uh, and uh, I think one of the things that I um, uh, sort of discovered in the last few years is, uh, you know, people need to be aware of what they're up against. So first of all, I think one of the things is, one of the realities about um, stocks, and particularly small, very small stocks in particular, they are... Um, that can be a very dirty game, right? So um, there's a simple thing, you know, it's known as um, uh, pumping and dumping. It was really big. It hit the headlines a little bit in crypto um, a few years ago, but it is absolutely rampant in uh, in micro stocks, uh, um, micro cap stocks. So look, to, to give a simple example of this, right? So you, you talked about the, um, the, the, the company mining Ants, uh, ant milk in in, in Sierra Leone. Ant right? squeezing in Sierra Leone, yeah, and but, it's going to turn around one day, Paul. Trust but me. but it's it's not uncommon to have a very tiny uh, mining exploration company, right, uh, yeah. with zero revenue, and it doesn't have a mine. It's a man in a shovel, yeah. metal detector. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, uh, that's out prospecting in the desert, right? And um, they might say that they've got uh, some kind of find, or they've got some kind of potential. Usually, and, it's we're right next to someone who's done a thing. Mm. That's 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 what yeah, no that's what you get. Yep. Yeah, and and the share price might be um, half of one cent or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know them well. Um, but then it, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, but then the stock might tick up a little bit. But then what happens is, and here's the thing: this isn't necessarily orchestrated all the time. Just now, that chatter. I do think sometimes it is. Mm-hmm. So and um, yes, you know the regulator should be all over, absolutely all over people who are doing this. Mm-hmm. But it's not because of the way the digital environment works now. These things can take on a life of their own. It hits the bulletin boards. They light up with excitement, uh, and enough people decide, "Hey, I'm going to you know plunge." some money into that it doesn't take much no it doesn't with these and this is really important for um for uh you know rookie traders if you like to understand these small stocks are so illiquid that small purchases of shares can move the price quite a bit and it might look like it's gone up well it might go up 50 percent in in the space of a week um but that's only with a tiny amount of trading yeah um, yeah and you can push these things around that's Mm. right my, my first job my first job in the market was actually in the ASX surveillance department before it moved to ASIC. And, and we'd see a little flash would go off and then, you know, you'd, you'd go through the investigation of, you know, of the, the trading boards and the trading rooms and see who's talking about bits and pieces and do yeah, the investigation right. that's behind that. And that was before we had full visibility. Yeah. So, and now it's, it's so common. And the thing is, lots of traders will be in there trying to help. Um, they'll, they'll be talking amongst each other and they will help bid it up. And then where this gets dodgy is that they start offloading it while it, at the peak of the hype cycle. So yeah, let, let, let's let's not confuse traders with stock promoters, paid stock promoters. Thank you, thank yeah. thank you for being yeah yeah. Well, like, the other side of it, the other side of it that goes on is is that 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 talk goes up to get the stock price to go up, so that then they can do a, a placement or a capital raising at a higher price. Mm. And and a lot of the time that that's happened, that's, and that's the worst kicker. And then that, that devalues the shares. It, it dilutes the shares of what you're holding. All of a sudden, you're in a thing. It's gone up 30% and then it dilutes. And that's another thing to be aware of as well. And that's, that, that's really obvious sort of easy stuff. But we're now in a stage where we've had a lot of people that were out of the market that are now in the market, and this is day one for them. Mm. So that's that's a real day one thing. Yeah, it is. Uh, just to be, you know, people are super getting super excited about. Well, this stock is up a hundred percent, you know, and it could be a tiny company, only worth, you know, half a million dollars on the ASX, um, and you know they've they've, they've you know doubled their money or whatever it is, and um, but they may be getting caught up in something that, where there is a hype machine at work where people know what they're doing and they're hoping to suck enough people into an illiquid stock so that they can offload it to them once it reaches a higher price. Um, caveat emptor, I think, is the, is the thing there. The other thing that's really interesting to me is that the, um, uh, the theories that people have sometimes for buying stocks or, or making a particular trade, say, in a currency, not realizing how sophisticated the analysis is and how efficient the market is. You know, they think they have a, a view on something. Say, um, I saw one this week, you know, well, the travel companies are, going, are likely to go up now because everything's starting to reopen. Um, I mean, the um, major institutions that trade these um, 
the trade these companies, they have huge research operations and analysis on, you know, that going on on a daily basis. Um, you know, with miners, they're visiting mines, with retailers, they're at, in supermarkets looking at price tags. They're looking at airline uh, seat capacity. They're factoring oil prices and energy prices into profit margins for bigger industrial companies. Um, you know, if you have an investment thesis, fine, but um, go in with your, your eyes open, I reckon. Um, Chris, are there other things that you've seen that, uh, that you find um, are the common like, mistakes and reasons that people blow up? Um, well, I think there's plenty of reasons why people blow up. I mean, the, 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 arguably the one that, that you see time and time again at a retail level is, is, is pure ego. I mean, people who have made money um, in, in property, for example, they've done well in life, they, you know, they've run a successful business and say, I'm the man. Or the, or the lady, and they get they they start trading, and you know, as I go back to this this theory that, they, that people human beings always have to, you know, they've been bred to be right, so they'll start they'll start making a loss on a position, and then they'll carry on holding that position, um, and then you sort of call them up and you say you're down, you know, five percent on an FX position, you know, considering you're talking about hundred or two hundred to one leverage, that that could be quite punchy, and you and, and you say to them. Yeah, what's your exit strategy? Well, uh, you know, I'm going to I'm going to hold to break even. I'm like, why do you want to hold to? Well, why do you want to hold to? Why do you want to hold to break even? They say it time and time again. I'm going to hold it to break even. Why do you break even? Because then you're right. You, if, as soon as you as soon as you're hitting out zero, you're back to a point when you're 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 not wrong. And that's the that's the point is these people will hold these big positions and 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 they'll just go worse and worse and they bury their head in the sand. You know. There's a, there's a saying that the, the professional traders go broke taking small profits, retail traders go broke taking massive losses. And what you'll end up seeing is with these guys, you see uh, small win, small win, small win, massive loss, massive loss, small win, small win. Why? Because they're so hell-bent on getting 80% of their trades right that, that when they have a loss, they want to hold it back to break even and they'll blow their accounts up. So this, this, this absolute nonsense that you can never go broke taking a profit it's the most misleading situation in, 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 in trading that you can have. You can absolutely go broke taking a profit. As long as the, the losses you have, you keep holding them and you hold them and hold them and hold them because people want to go back to that break even. So for me, that, 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 is the, that is the number one reason why I see people blowing up their account. They're successful in their life and they say, you know, my analysis will be right. I've done well in everything. And then the market just completely schools them. You've got to take that loss. It's, 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 it's what you see time and time again. Speaking of speculative equities or speculative assets, speculative products, uh, how about that sterling? So we've got, you know, we've got an English accent there and we've got Ken over in Amsterdam, ex-London as well. So you guys want to just, we're talking about FX. You want to talk about sterling for a bit there just to close it out? Yeah, I'm Ken. Chris, have at it, my friend. Well, I mean, for, for, to, to be honest, there's a, there's a pretty simple trade going through in, in FX markets at the moment. Um, and, and that's risk on, risk off. So, you know, I've heard the pound being considered to be an emerging market currency. You know, if you, if you look at implied volatility in, in the pound at the moment, it's nowhere near. Yeah, it's actually significantly lower than Aussie dollar or Kiwi dollar. And, 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 and all you're seeing at the moment, if you look at, go to statistics, you look at correlation coefficients between the S&P futures and the Aussie dollar or the Kiwi dollar, they're about 80%, a six-month correlation coefficient. So 80% of the, 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 the variance in, in the Aussie dollar can be explained by S&P futures. Similar in, in the pound, it's slightly lower, but basically you've just got this risk-on, risk-off thematic. When that changes, I, I can't tell you when that's going to be, but if the S&P rallies... Yeah, the pound will rally, the Aussie will rally, the Kiwi will rally, the Nokia will rally. And, you know, when markets sell off, you see vols picking up and you see the dollar, the US dollar rallying and the yen rallying. It's very, very simple. The pound's not a political currency anymore. It's not really a cyclical currency. It's just a risk on, risk off currency. And it's just kind of really stuck at the moment between what sort of 122 and, and 127. You know, people are talking about Brexit and all these other factors. But the simple fact is at the moment in this market, if the S&P futures are going higher, I'll tell you where the pound's going. I'll tell you where the Aussie dollar's going. I'll tell you where the Kiwi dollar's going. If the, the S&P futures are going lower, and I'll, I'll be able to do pretty much exactly the same as well. So risk on, risk off is driving currencies at the moment. Yeah, look, I mean, as far as what's driving currencies, I'm, I'm hard-pressed to argue that point. And as we've spoken you know, about many times, it, it literally is all one trade. And the, the beta to the S&P, just, you know, choose higher or lower and job done. I mean... And the reason the implied vol for something like sterling is lower than, than Aussie is, well, because it's it's travelled 
uh, a smaller distance in the same time as the Aussies travelled the greater distance and done so a little less erratically. Um, as far as as far as cable being an EM, I mean, yeah, it's nice to think it was, or you know, nice to describe it that way in headlines and whatnot. But the cold hard reality of it is, is that the UK as an economy is is facing what many similar economies have, have faced previously, and, and the similarity is the fact that it's a it's a small now more open or slightly more open economy with a current account deficit uh, that doesn't really have a whole lot to offer the world outside of artisanal jams and flat warm beer um, and in and in the face in the face of a globalized economy I mean there's only so much demand you're going to see for that downsides probably outweigh the upsides but is it behaving like an EM absolutely not um, it's just behaving like an open current account based or current account deficit-based economy with, with not a whole lot to offer. So here we are. Okay, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a great chat. Uh, thanks for coming along. Chris, uh, thanks very much for coming on the show, taking time and uh, sharing your insights. Um, thanks for having me on and thanks for having a Victorian on and I hope you've still got your mask on. Then. <laughs> I do, and I'll, um, I've got. Uh, I'm going to sanitise uh, properly after this uh, too. Uh, but in all seriousness, uh, I think uh, all of us hope that um, the situation uh, down there gets uh, rectified quickly, that the numbers start going in the right direction, and uh, that everybody can get back to normal as soon as possible. Good luck, mate. Um, so, uh, Ken, thanks very much uh, for joining us from Amsterdam. Thank you, guys, and thanks, Chris, again. Been a pleasure. Cheers, Ken. Enjoy your summer's day over there. Uh, You can find us online at The Bip Show. We're on Twitter uh, at the underscore bip underscore show. And we're on Facebook too. And you can find us all uh, individually on Facebook, uh, on on Twitter. Um, It's at Colgo, at James Whelan42, at Ken Vexler, and at Chris Weston PS. So, uh, James, good show. Yeah, great show. Trivia today, end of the quarter. Now, it was a race for the, the two best performing indexes on the major indexes that people talk about between the NASDAQ and the second one was actually the Bovespa. So give me within a couple of decimal places, something close to it. How did the Brazilian uh, index go in the quarter? And it was, it was big. It was the, the irony that the two countries where the worst is happening have, have gone the best, phenomenal. But uh, just shows you what we're up about. So uh, if you can uh, just to, to, to the nearest couple of decimals, Close enough is good enough uh, to get the schnitzel and the pint uh, after I do Dry July. Fantastic. But, Paul, it has been a fantastic show. Well done. And thanks, guys. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Chris. Uh, yeah, it's been, uh, it's thanks, been great. Uh, Thank you. All right. Thanks, guys. Uh, it's, uh, the show is produced by Eamon Connolly and Rick Salter. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks.